turn in them in the New Testament to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 15. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the chair in front of you, and you can turn in that Bible to page 138, and you will find 1 Corinthians 15. Let me ask you a question. For how many of us did Easter sneak up on you this year? Okay, quite a number of you. It's very, very early this year, Easter is, March the 23rd. And a lot of times people say, well, how did we, how does this Easter thing ever get figured out? How do we know what day Easter is going to be celebrated? And uh, let me just tell you how that works. There's a little formula. It goes like this. Easter is on the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. And some of you are going, I still don't know what that means. Um, what is the spring equinox? Well, it's actually not that complicated. If you think of the word equinox, you can almost sense the word equal there. And nox is really a Latin form for night. And the spring equinox is when the sun is positioned pretty close to the equator and it's equal time between the daylight part of the day and the nighttime part of the day. That's the spring equinox. There's a fall equinox also. And so you have the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Now what you may not know is this is actually going to be the earliest Easter that you ever see in your lifetime. Did you know that? The last time Easter occurred on March 23rd was 1913, which means unless you are 95 years or older, how many people 95 or older here? Okay. You've never seen Easter this early. And you say, well, I'll probably be around for a while. I can see it come on March 23rd again. The next time it's going to come on March the 23rd, as I understand it, is the year 2160, 152 years from now. And I seriously doubt any of us are going to be here in the year 2160. So this is the earliest Easter that you will ever experience in your lifetime, the earliest one you're ever going to see. Someone asked about an Easter sunrise service, which we have some years, and and I said, the reason why we, we don't do that every year is we realized when we were having it on the earlier Easters, we were, we were really, literally freezing ourselves to death out there. We had someone playing a guitar and their fingers were freezing up. And so what we're doing is we, we only have sunrise services on Easters that are a little later into April. So if you hang around long enough, we'll have another one in another year or so. But this is the earliest one. But Easter is a very glorious day, isn't it? A great, great day, a day of tremendous significance and tremendous joy. But what is interesting to me is that we live in a culture that is actually disconnecting from Easter. We live in a culture that is drifting from the true focus of Easter. Now, I know we're not saying by that statement that it's wrong to color eggs or wrong to have some plastic hay in a basket or to give children jelly beans, that's not really the issue. But our culture is really disconnecting 
from Easter and its significance with the resurrection. Came across this Barna poll, and it was asked, do you believe, what do you believe about Jesus and the resurrection? And here's, here's what Americans said and born-again people who claim to be born-again said. Now listen to this. 40% of Americans said that Jesus was not physically resurrected. 40% of Americans. Check this out. 30% of those who said they were born again said that Jesus was not physically resurrected. Another Barna poll of church leaders identified 33%. One-third of church leaders in America said that Jesus was not physically resurrected. And then the most alarming poll that I came across had to do with those who had theological training and who were pastors, ministers in America without a seminary education. Forty percent of them said that Jesus was not physically resurrected. Those who were seminary graduates who had the educational training in this survey, 70 percent of seminary graduates said that Jesus was not physically resurrected. And among those who had a doctoral degree in theology, 80% of them said that Jesus was not physically resurrected. Is it any wonder our culture is disconnecting from the real meaning of Easter when we've got the church disconnecting from it? You know, Easter is a whole lot more than a spring festival. It's a whole lot more than a bunny fest. It's a whole lot more than a collage of colored eggs and and bright-colored clothing. And it's very important as the people of God that we remember it and that we review what Easter is all about, that we replay it and that we celebrate it. Many, many years ago, many generations ago, the Apostle Paul wrote these words to Timothy, and they're words for us today. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That is our assignment on an Easter Sunday, to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And so that's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to celebrate today. We want to talk about the resurrection of Christ, the ultimate validation and it's the ultimate validation of three things. And so it's, it's not that we have anything new here, but what we're doing is we're just simply reminding ourselves and replaying this and celebrating this on this Easter Sunday. We're going to see that it is the ultimate validation of three things. Number one, it's the ultimate validation of the truth of biblical Christianity. Number two, it is the ultimate validation of our forgiveness of sins. And number three, it is the ultimate validation of a future resurrection. The fact that he was physically resurrected is an ultimate validation of key elements for us who are believers. So let's look at each of these three this Easter Sunday morning. First of all, the resurrection of Christ is the ultimate validation of the truth of biblical Christianity. And again, I want to say that there are some people out there, and their number is growing, who would say the idea of a physical resurrection is really insignificant. It's just an incidental thing. It's a non-essential. Some of them say it's just a metaphor. Don't you understand figures of speech? It's just a metaphor. 
H.G. Wells, many of us know, as a very creative writer, said this about the resurrection of Jesus. He said, the resurrection is a happy ending tacked on an essentially tragic story. That doesn't really make any big difference, is really what he was saying. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that the very opposite is true. The Bible says that the resurrection is crucial. The Bible says that the resurrection is pivotal. The Bible says that the resurrection is integral in what biblical Christianity is all about. Someone said this, the resurrection is the keystone in the arch of Christianity. You know, an arch goes like this, and the stone that goes in the center is the keystone. And when you remove the keystone, the arch comes tumbling down. And so the resurrection is the keystone in the arch of Christianity. You take it out, and the whole thing collapses. And that is really what, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15... In verses 12, 13, and 14, Paul argues. He points that out as being the case. Notice it says in verse 12, it says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Now here we go, verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is vain, and your faith is vain. That's a pretty strong statement that he makes. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain also, he says. Now, vain is not a word that we use a lot, and maybe your translation uses some different terms there. But the word vain basically means empty. It means hollow. If he wasn't raised, our preaching is just empty, and your faith is hollow. It's pointless. It has no basis at all. It's interesting, when you examine the the founders of the major religious faiths around the world, and you look at them, Abraham died about 1900 B.C., the founder of Judaism. And according to tradition, he was buried in Hebron, and you can view, if you go to Hebron, a tomb there today 4,000 years after he died. Buddha died of food poisoning at the age of 80, around 480 B.C. And one of the earliest records when he died described his death this way. It was with utter passing away in which nothing whatever remains behind. And then you have Muhammad recognized as the founder, really, of Islam, who died on June the 8th, 632 A.D., at the age of 61. And his tomb is visited annually by thousands of people. 
And it simply underscores the uniqueness, the utter uniqueness of biblical Christianity. You see, here's what's unique about biblical Christianity is that Jesus, as we know, claimed to be God. And he also gave predictions that God the Father would raise him from the dead. So if we just look at those predictions that he claimed to be God, and he said, the Father is going to raise me from the dead, without the resurrection, we must conclude he is either a raving maniac, or he is guilty of the ultimate of blasphemy. And thus, every human being must choose. And if Jesus' body was not physically resurrected, if his body is buried somewhere, to be honest, men and women, we are no different than a Buddhist. We are no different than a Muslim. We are really just like them. And if he was not resurrected, what does that tell us? It tells us that evil triumphed, that the enemy of our souls was victorious. And it tells us, of course, that sin prevailed. And rather than having a living leader who was God in the flesh, we would have a dead founder who was nothing more than a mere man. There's some pretty strong statements made by the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15. Without the resurrection, your faith is in vain. Your faith is in vain. You know what I find interesting about the Apostle Paul? He's more honest than a lot of the religious leaders of our day who want to say Jesus was not resurrected physically. I mean, if he wasn't resurrected physically, why do we even show up here? Why do we even show up each week? Why don't we all just pack it up in the warm months of the year and let's just all go to the lake together and have a good time? Maybe we, we could hit the golf course for those of us who are golfers and for those of you who are shoppers. We could all hit the mall. We could have trips down planned on Sundays to the outlet mall down in Gainesville. I mean, why not? Look at what he says in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, moreover, we are found, if Christ was not resurrected physically, to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. If we have, if it's even that high, 80% of those who have doctoral theology degrees are denying that Jesus was physically resurrected, what they're really doing is labeling the Apostle Paul a liar. They're saying the apostles were liars. The resurrection of Christ is the ultimate validation First of all, of the truth of biblical 
Christianity. You see, only one person ever claimed to be God verified that by performing miracles and then was physically resurrected from the dead. Only one person ever did that, the person of Christ. The resurrection is the ultimate validation of the truth of biblical Christianity. We just need to remember that. We need to replay that. We need to celebrate that. And it is also the ultimate validation, secondly, of our forgiveness of sins. Look at chapter 15 again, verses 16 and 17. He says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. He pulls out another term to describe what our faith would be without Christ being physically resurrected from the dead. He says it's worthless, it's futile, it's, it's a word that means fruitless, it, it has no useful effect. I mean, you might as well just toss it out. It's worthless to us. See, if there is no physical resurrection, then a holy God is still on course to condemn us for our sins. And frankly, it means that we're in a hopeless situation because we can never on our own successfully become acceptable to God. We can't, we can't crank that out. And then he goes on to add something interesting in verse 18. If Christ hasn't been physically resurrected from the dead, he says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that just means those who are followers of Christ who have died, have perished. The people that you knew and that I know who follow after Christ who have died have just simply gone into oblivion, he says, if Christ wasn't physically resurrected from the dead. They have perished. And we have no hope of ever seeing them again. R. C. H. Linsky wrote this little statement. I've always liked it. He wrote this He who denies the resurrection writes over every believer's tomb, lost and damned. It's the ultimate validation of our forgiveness of sins. And then notice what he says in verse 19. He says, if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, what does it say next? We are of all men most to be pitied. We are the most pitiful people on the planet. You and I are deluded people. That's sick to think about. It's pathetic. It means that we've been deceived if he wasn't physically resurrected from the dead. It means that we've built our life on nothing. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In Romans 4.25, it says, He was delivered up because of our transgressions. He went on that cross. And then it says, And he was raised because of our justification. We've been declared righteous because of his resurrection on our behalf. See, men and women, the truth is, I don't care what the culture says. The truth is that the resurrection is the ultimate validation 
of your and my forgiveness of sins. And that's something to celebrate. That's something to replay. That's something to remember as we do on Easter Sunday. It is the ultimate validation of our forgiveness of sins. See, the truth is that the very opposite is true for us. The preaching that we have, the message that we have is not a hollow one. It's not an empty one. It's not a useless one. It's actually a message of power and new life. The reality is our faith isn't pointless. It's not without basis. It's based on the Son of God who was raised from the dead by God the Father with power. We are not false witnesses and liars. We have been commissioned to bear the truth of the message of the Son of God. Our faith is not fruitless. It is not without result. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. We have been forgiven. And as believers who die, we don't perish. We're not damned. Rather, when we leave this earthly body behind, we become physically present with the Lord himself. See, we are not the most pitiful people on the planet. The truth of the matter is we are co-heirs with the God of the universe because an event that happened many years ago when Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. The resurrection is the ultimate validation of the truth of biblical Christianity. It's the ultimate validation of our forgiveness of sins. We need to remember that. We need to replay that. But it's also the ultimate validation of a future resurrection. Notice what he says in verses 20 and following. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep who die. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And he says this is going to happen in a particular order. And uh, death is going to have to be abolished. And you get down through verse 27. It talks about how all things are going to be subjected. Verse 28. The Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him. And uh, then I want you to notice what it says down in verse 32. The second part of the verse, if the dead are not raised, I just love Paul's honesty. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. See, if this whole idea of the resurrection of Christ and, and our future resurrection is, is just, it's just not there, you know what he's saying? He's, he's so much more upfront and honest than some of these religious leaders. He says, what we need to do, if this isn't true, we just need to forget the spiritual stuff. We just need to, to throw out the living in a godly and holy manner. We need to get on with life. We need to pull out all the stops. We need to enjoy this life while we can. But of course that's not true.
And if indeed he was resurrected, and if indeed the ultimate validation is that I can be physically resurrected in the future, if that's true, if that's true, men and women, then I need to stop myself in my tracks right now and be very quick to seek out the person of Jesus Christ. If that's the secret to coming out of death, I need to seek him out. I need to stop fooling around in my life. I need, I need to bend my knee in front of the Savior. I need to look to him for deliverance. I need to look to him for the potential of being physically resurrected one day. I need to look to him to see that death is not the end of everything. It actually just simply becomes a transition. And if indeed that's the secret to being physically resurrected, I need to live my life in light of eternity. You remember what Jesus said when he really said goodbye to the disciples? One of the things he said to them was, you know what, I'm leaving for a little while and uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. you know, beyond death. And when we know him, he has a place prepared for us. You know, there are many religious groups and individuals who have hoped in some sort of resurrection after death. But was there hope in the right place See, death's only a heartbeat away. I want you to think for a moment. We won't take a poll, but I want you to think about whether you know someone who died who was your age or younger. So just think for a second. Can you identify someone who was your age or younger who has died? You see, it's just the reminder that we need that the most important thing in all of the universe is a person's relationship with the one who can and did conquer death, who offers us the opportunity to also conquer death. As we said, in 152 years, none of us will be here But if we know him, we will be with him. You know, Jesus said in John 10, he said, I am the door. Interesting little analogy that he uses there. He says, I am the door. What's the idea of that statement? Basically, he says, you enter into resurrection life through me. Why would that be true? Because he's the one who pioneered it. He's the one who accomplished it. None of us are going to live to see Easter this early again. And some of us may not see another year on this planet. May be true of me, may be true of you. 
But there's one thing I want to leave you with clearly in your mind. And that is, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had on this Easter Sunday to review and to replay the wonder of our Savior, to celebrate it. And Father, we we would just pray if there's anyone who's not by faith said, you know what, I want my future to be sure. They have not yet embraced the person of Christ and his resurrection on their behalf. We would pray that they would do that this very day. That they would look to the person of Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead and to trust in him. And Father, for all of us who who know and walk with the Savior, we would pray that this would be a day in which we would recommit ourselves to worship Him and to honor Him and to remember that He was risen from the dead. And over the centuries, there have been in the Church of Christ a little exchange given when the leader would say, he is risen, and the congregation would say, He is risen indeed. Let's join the ranks of those over the centuries and do that right now. I will say, He is risen, and you can say, He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.